0: The Old Testament reading is Psalm 42 and 43. To the choir master, master, a maskel of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? then i will go to the altar of god to god my exceeding joy and i will praise you with the lyre o god my god why are you cast down o my soul and why are you in turmoil within me hope in god for i shall again praise him my salvation and my god the word of the lord
1: be to god. lord we thank you for your word we thank you for your that you are our shepherd and lord we commit to you this this time in your word and pray for by your Holy Spirit that you will guide us and strengthen Lord your people I pray in Jesus name Amen Well I spent some time thinking about we, our, one of our goals was to give Will a chance to finish his thesis and there's a rough draft that's complete right Will? Okay, very, very close, all right. Well, we still have uh, other elders who are going to be preaching a little bit later, so we're going to, <laughs> we're bringing in the reinforcements. All right. The, um, but actually, as you know, so I thought about this, uh, you know, of course, it is the beginning of Lent, and there is a connection in these Psalms to, to Lent, and I'll bring that, that out. And, uh, but you know, I mean, I, this morning in, in Sunday school when Rachel was uh, going through spiritual practices, I thought, you know, actually this psalm is about, there is something here about spiritual practices, about drawing strength uh, from God. And then on Thursday, uh, Will was leading us through the men's Bible study and we were in First John and uh, there's this verse that we discussed for a while, you know, where he says, I you know, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God dwells in you, and you've overcome the evil one, and we talked about how, how do you have that strength, right, it's not strength like a Rambo kind of strength, it's a strength which comes from God, and uh, and really what make us, uh, and even though they're sometimes, you know, uh, the metaphor of men and sons and things like this, but it's, it's really all of God's people as the bride of Christ, since men are included in the bride of Christ, women are also included in those who are strong and who are sons of God. So, the... Uh, I almost uh, preached on 1 Samuel 23 because that's one of my favorite. <laughs> I wanted to give you something that's very personal, very, uh, yeah... Something from my heart. And one of my favorite, uh, because and it ties into this, is, is uh, where Jonathan comes into the desert and encourages uh, David, who's running for his life, has been running for his life for a while, and frankly, is, he's struggling. And the text tells us that Jonathan helped uh, David find his strength in God. And one of the things he did is remind him, and we'll see that in this, in this psalm, remembering, the importance of remembering. So just maybe I'll give a couple of background comments. So this Psalm 42 is really the first psalm in, in book, what's called Book 2. There are five books of psalms. And uh, the first book is almost exclusively. Not all of them are labeled who wrote them, but mostly David. And then this uh, psalm is the first in the second book, which is written by Korah, who's believed to be a descendant of Kohath. So one of the a Levite. And in fact, he was probably a leader of music ministry. You know, and like uh, those who play music in our worship. And uh, for whatever reason, and the precise details are not known, but not able to go to Jerusalem to worship. And so it's, he's thirsting for God and um, but it's, it's that experience of worshipping together as God's people and you'll see and so the uh, he's being tested to the uttermost but he, he meets it with faith and I think that's where we can be instructed how does this psalmist who's going through a really deep uh, trial find strength in God and uh, uh, I mean, there's so much, this psalm has been really important to me since I first became a Christian, you know, some 47 years ago, and there's a lot to say, and I won't be able to say everything, but what I'll do is, it's really, it's three verses of a psalm, Psalm 42 and 43, they're two separate psalms, but they really are, like, five verses, five verses, five verses, five, six, five. but anyway, Pretty much equal things, and each one is punctuated at the end with the same refrain. So it's a song, all right? And the refrain is where he comes, uh, responds in faith to his situation. And so I will have three points, and I'm just going to bring really what I see as sort of the salient point uh, from each one of these uh, verses of the song. Uh, The first is sort of like a feeling of perishing, which we see in the first... What I mean verse here is the verse of his song. The second will be a deep calling to deep. And the third is light and truth. So let's begin, and I always like to, um, I memorized this before we had the ESV was written, so I, sorry if it's not the exact same one uh, version that was read. But uh, so the first verse of the song, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, Where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And now comes the refrain. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. So in this first verse, I wanna focus on his desire to worship with God's people. There's some things he's, we see here. He is thirsting, and just as an animal will perish without, uh, without water. And the deer, deer uh, they don't sweat, they uh, breathe through their mouth like, like a dog to cool themselves off. And often when they're thirsty, they'll be panting like this. I grew up in the woods in upstate New York, so I've heard deer. <laughs> and it's a matter of life and death. And I think, as a Christian, I think we've all felt that, like, if you haven't been able to be together with God's people in worship, that we just sort of our strength is draining away. And so He desires to be together with God's people. And there are some things in this text which I think really are helpful as we think about, well, how do I come to worship and draw strength from God? And I think some of it's actually how we prepare ourselves. I mean, the psalmist here is thinking. He's like, you know, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How we used to go with the multitude. Leading the procession, even. Well, the first and obvious point here in the text is, He's coming to worship, expecting to meet with God. So when we come here in the morning to worship, we should expect that actually we will meet with God, that he will respond to us. And I think that actually one of the practice, talk about spiritual practices I've found very helpful, is that in my study during the week, if there's a question, I'm like, you know what? This is something I really don't understand. And, uh, And then I'll just make a note. I'll say, okay, Lord, in next Sunday's sermon, here's my question. And it's amazing. You think, well, how... You know, the sermon might have nothing to do with my question. But actually, more often than not, I hear a direct answer to my question. And it's because my mind is prepared to receive. I'm like, God has something for me in this sermon. And I should be prepared to receive it. And so he... He's saying, when can I go and meet with God? He wants to, he, it, in the, it's clear he believes that if he goes there and he's able to gather with God's people, he'll meet with God. And he, it isn't just, you know, he, some sort of religious uh, practice that's external, this is the living God, the God of life. When I saw that that term, living God, of course, it's used elsewhere in Scripture many times, but one of them actually thinking of Jonathan and David, when David, you know, he... Where Jonathan really uh, grew to to love and appreciate David was uh, in the whole thing with with, where David meets Goliath, if you remember that story. And much as in the psalm where there's the people uh, taunting him, saying, you know, where is your God... Goliath stood up and was uh, ridiculing uh, the armies of the living God, and and David responds, "This is, you know, he's like, this isn't about me. Uh, this is, you know, God's defending me from lions and bears, and so I'm not worried about who he is. But who is this Philistine? Think he is uh, ridiculing the armies of the living God, and so." This living God is the God who gives us life, who breathed life into our nostrils when we, when we first came to be the God who says, I am. The other thing we see here is he comes pouring out his soul. And many times in the, in the Psalms, we're in, we're in fact called to Pour out your soul. One of the things that's wonderful about the psalms, and it's almost sometimes even almost to the point of embarrassment, is the psalmist is just completely honest. If he's feeling terrible, he just says it. You know, I feel like God, I feel abandoned, or I feel like people are killing me. And I think that uh, one of the reasons I've memorized the psalms is that otherwise I would have a great deal of difficulty being able to pray And you say, why is that? Well, God already knows everything. And I remember where the Scripture says that. Well, uh, you know, let your words be few. God is in heaven; you're on earth, and He doesn't take pleasure in fools. So, you know, I sort of like. Well, what can I add to this conversation, seeing as God knows everything? But uh, there's a beautiful little book uh, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, with great his characteristic great intensity. He wrote a little book on prayer. And he said, you know, prayer is God's, the, the Psalms are God's prayer book. And when we do it, we're praying with God. His own words, back to him. And so, the, um, this pouring out of our soul, I think, we're encouraged in the Psalms to just completely... Be honest, this is, it isn't disrespectful to be honest with God. And so the psalmist just said, you know, like, I feel like there's death in my bones, like my bones are killing me because of what people are saying, right? God sees what's done in secret. And this is actually one of the things we were talking about on Thursday night about 1 John. It's part of living in the light is just being completely honest with God. Just saying, Lord, here I am. Warts and all. And part of that is that when you do that, you start to see yourself and you start to see what you need as the psalmist does here. And then you can lay that at God's feet because I remember when I first became a Christian, I remember I was in graduate school and uh, in a totally hostile environment. And not, in fact, one of the reasons this psalm was so dear to me is because there were a lot of people saying, Where is your God? kind of effectively. Because it seems like we live in a civilization where everybody says, you know, they're desperately living as if God doesn't exist. But I mean I had a student one that's once asked me, you know, is there any evidence in science for God? And i said well do you know that god created all things he said yeah i said well then show me one thing that isn't evidence for god right although we are often uh, you know senseless and not not able to interpret it the fact is everything is evidence for him but this is how the the psalmist arms himself you can see he's being totally honest, laying out his soul before God. He's coming expectantly into the presence of God. And you can see another thing he's doing here, which I also recommend as a spiritual practice, is that, you know, as Christians, we pray. But it's really good to keep a prayer journal, to remember things. And especially, it's good to write in your prayer journal when you're in the hot water when you really don't know how it's gonna turn out, and who knows what's gonna to happen to you, and your brain is filled with fears, and then uh, when the Lord brings about his deliverance, then you go back and you write it in there. I have a, a dear friend who actually for me was uh, there. when I I, when we lived in Maryland, we bought our first house, and, uh, and there, there was a problem with corrupt uh, housing inspectors and things and whatnot. So as it turned out, I, I didn't have much money after buying the house, and I discovered that there was no wood in the back wall, the exterior wall of the house, because they'd had a water leak, and they had let it leak, and it had rotted all the wood out in the exterior wall, and then they cosmetically covered it up and sold the house. And I noticed it, and I was sitting there at the dining room table saying, you know, dear, it looks like, this, it looks like the ceiling sinking into the wall, because the sheetrock rock was just holding up the wall. And a dear friend of church uh, came, and he was like an angel from heaven. Because I, I, I've, I've done building. I could have done it all myself, but uh, I didn't have the strength emotionally. And so he came, and we propped up the ceiling, knocked the wall out, and rebuilt the back wall of our house. And uh, then he, you know, got, he works in, uh, he's actually an executive in a tech firm, and boy, the working world is really ruthless. And he would, he got into some of these situations, I was like, oh my gosh. And he said, help me, my my faith is failing. And uh, I said, but wait, Uh, I know enough about your life. Remember, remember how God delivered you that one time? And he said, yeah. I said, now look, you've got to write it down. Write it down. And write this now. Write this problem right now. I have no idea how God's going to solve this problem. Frankly, it looks like you're going to lose your job. But let's just, let's just leave it in God's hands. Well, the Lord delivered him mightily through that. And I said, okay, now write it down. And over the last 30 years, I've lost count of the number of times he's texted me and said, I need prayer again. And I said, get, get the prayer book out, <laughs> because when you read it and you realize how many times God has delivered you, because I think when we don't write it down, we forget. We forget all those little times because once you're out of hot water, it's like, oh, well, maybe I had exaggerated fears and I don't think about it. You know, But actually, it's extremely important, I think, because it's important to, and this is what you find throughout the Psalms, not just in this Psalm, is that There's remembrance. Remember how God delivered us? Remember we were there at the the sea and the Egyptians were there and they had weapons and we had nothing and we were just totally trapped And how God delivered us? And then suddenly, then you have the faith to say, why are you downcast on my soul? Why? Put your faith in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, let's go to the second verse, because there's a, the, of the song. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar, deep falls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over. Me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemies? My enemies, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, as I thought about this psalm, I thought, you know, I think the circumstances, given what the uh, linguistic experts think when it was written, it's probably a, uh, a psalm really of the time period not too far from after David himself. Probably, it, in fact, I think one of the... So if you remember the history of Israel, you have King David and Solomon... And then Solomon, towards the end of his life, becomes somewhat unfaithful. And he starts, uh, he has all these wives, and some of them are not, you know, believers. And, uh, and And he's rebuked by God, but he doesn't really listen. And so then in the time of his son, Rehoboam, the kingdom is divided. And the northern kingdom splits off, and then you just have Jerusalem at Judah. It's a terrible time. And if you were a Levite living in the northern part, you had a problem. Because King Jeroboam I, who was now king of the northern kingdom, he was afraid, the text tells us, that he was afraid that people would go down to Jerusalem during worship and then they would, their hearts would go back to Rehoboam and then he would lose his head. So what did he do? Well, he does exactly uh, some of the things that are uh, discussed even in the, in the next uh, verse of the song, but the uh, he lies, right? He's deceitful and wicked, reconstructing golden calves of all things. So I think that's really the, the, the context. So, but we know he's in the north because it says in this second verse, you know, the, that from the land of the Jordan, and the Jordan River's coming down, and he said, the heights of Hermon. So Mount Hermon is a very large mountain, which is the source of the Jordan River, and it comes down. And Mount Mitzar, no one's sure exactly what it means. Mitzar means it's little mountain. <laughs> but he's basically in the, in the north country, and is for whatever reason. And, well, the time of Jeroboam I wasn't the first time or the last when it could have been either due to external threats or due to internal threats, in other words, political, his own king, King Jeroboam, uh, difficult to travel. Now, you might say, well, this is all from the outside, but that's not, it's not just trouble from people stopping him. He sees in this verse something that may become surprising. Uh, this deep calls to deep. What's going on here? Deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. It kind of kind of jumps out. Now, fortunately, uh, in the book of Jonah, which we're going through, there uh, is a citation of this. Effectively, I mean, he's basically—it's clear—he's referring to it, because in in Jonah uh, chapter two verse three. Um, Jonah, you know, is in the depths, and he he says, you hurled me into the deep. The deep here brings us back even to Genesis, okay? The deep. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So I think actually the citation in Jonah helps us understand what's going on here is that this is discipline. Now, we know the story of Jonah, and we've been hearing about it, and we'll be hearing more about it. He was clearly uh, not being obedient, and he was being disciplined. Lovingly, God was pursuing him through his sovereign control of all the circumstances, And the psalmist here is, so how do we interpret what's going on here? It's a very interesting thing. He's saying, this hardship that I'm facing is discipline. Right? And so he sees it as the discipline of God. Now you may wonder, well, how does that fit in with the rest of the text? Well, it fits perfectly. We, unfortunately, often think of discipline as someone getting angry at you and hitting you. Which is not true. It's not the biblical idea. I hope that's not how you discipline your kids. <laughs> when you, you know, you do it when you get angry and then you, you hit them or something. It's Discipline is an act of love. And in the church, we're, we, we're part of disciplining one another. And our response to discipline is really important. Right? It, it, the proper thing is actually one of the most difficult things because it requires humility is to... Submit to it and say, Lord, accomplish what you are directed, what you intend. So when trouble comes, like here he is, you know, this whole thing with King Rehoboam and King Jeroboam and all this political stuff, it may seem kind of out there and irrelevant, but he doesn't see it that way. He's seeing it. He's seeing that he's there. All the ways and breakers have swept over me. And then it's not discontinuous. This is all one continuous thought. By day, the Lord directs his love. So what's happening, both here and in Jonah? God is directing his love. He's, it's not random. You may not understand what's going on, but his, what's happening is the outplaying of God's love. His, intended, his, his intent is loving, bringing you to where you need to be. And so the psalmist sees that God's doing this. And it's another beautiful thing is that this, discipline is not without encouragement. He's saying, by day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And I've, in this verse, what I see is him referring to this entire song. He's like, this song that I'm singing for you now, this is what God gave me as I went through this, this trial. This trial of, not being able to worship as I wanted and then being able, being uh, taunted, uh, having to, you know, put up with the taunts of the enemy, those ridiculing by faith, and then but the Lord bringing me through. And so the, uh, I think there's some really important lessons about discipline that we have in the text here, so I just want to dwell on that. Just So it, it comes, it's First, as I said, it's, 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 it's not random. It's directed, even if we don't understand it, or if it looks random, it isn't random. And it doesn't come without encouragement. In fact, I think a really good verse that helps us look at this is uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, and one of our texts was from Hebrews 4, but uh, Hebrews 11, of course, is this amazing list of all the courage and faithfulness reminding us remembering it's a little prayer book of all those who are heroes of the faith then chapter 12 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus and then the application is to how are you going to deal with discipline which is what you're going through and so that brings us to our, our text the so Hebrews 12 in your struggle against sin You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement, that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. All right? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he chastises everyone that he receives as a child. Then the text says, endure, right? Face hardship as discipline. Don't maybe, but hardship as discipline. So in other words, that's trusting that whatever these circumstances are, there's none of it that's random. In fact, it's all things working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? So it's saying the same thing. So... In fact, he says, if, and if you don't undergo discipline, he says, in fact, everybody undergoes discipline. Uh, he said, but if you didn't, then you, wouldn't be, you would be not an, a legitimate child, right? Because that's what God does. He disciplines those he loves. Now, it's tempting for me as an old guy to say, well, you know, back in my day, we knew what discipline was. The truth is, though, I think that discipline is alive and well in our culture. And actually, one of the places where it's most alive and well is, is in the sports world. I mean, maybe that's the most accessible to us. When you have a good coach, right? Like uh, Coach uh, Bluter, right? I you mean, know, she's in the news this week. Uh, and uh, a good coach knows that uh, without discipline you get nowhere, right? And discipline is love. Why does the di- coach discipline the team? Not to punish them, but to make them stronger, to make them good. For their, in fact, so that they will, they will be a great team, right? And so, the. Uh, but I think that in our culture at large, often we, we tend to identify, you know, when, if something hurts, that's because someone, you know, doesn't like me. Or if, you know, if God's putting me through this trial, must be he doesn't love me. And that's a that's a that's a temptation. It's a you know it's a trial when you're tempted to say, well gee, this, my life stinks right now. Uh, must be God doesn't love me. And I know I've, I've you know I, where I've been tempted to feel that way myself. It's uh, you have to re- recognize that all hardship is discipline. And of course, I won't recite the whole thing for you, but. Go back and, as homework assignment, look at uh, Hebrews 12. He said, you know, no, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. But it produces this harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Well, that's what we see here in the second verse of the psalm. By day, the Lord directs his love. And yet, all his waves and breakers have swept over me. That's feeling like I've been cast into the deep. The deep is this this un- you know, the, the Hebrew mind was very afraid of the sea. The sea to the Hebrew mind was like everything's out of control. Only God can control the, the seas. But, uh, and it was, so it was a very fearful thing. But it also represented like, you know, almost if you remember the Lord of the Rings, the only way you could unmake the, the power of the ring was to take it back to the primordial place where it was made, and there it could be unmade. So when God brings us into the deep and... He's doing that so that we can be remade, and that's sometimes what that's that's what sanctification is. It's it's not being repaired; it's being made new. It's it's a it's a new life, which is indestructible. Well, discipline is the hardest thing to take. Well, I think I'd just add one more thing. You know, when I when I. When you read through, say, the Sermon on the Mount, there's sometimes, you know, there's the first message you get, like, you know, everybody knows, you know, do not judge or you'll be judged. But the interesting thing is to think about, okay, so how does this work, Lord? And then, because it follows up with, okay, you know, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Uh, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck. From your brother 's eye, now you might think well that 's easy enough. a plank 's pretty easy to see i 'll just you know to get a forklift and but it 's not a physical plank it 's a metaphorical plank it 's epistemologically large as a plank. What does that mean? It means that we can 't see what 's wrong with us right we don 't see our problems. so how 's this discipline which God brings through hardship? How are we going to recognize it well i 'm a Sorry to tell you that probably the easiest thing to do is to have someone else tell you. Like, if you, have, if you see someone with a speck in their eye, you can see it. They can't see it. And if they try to get it out, they're likely to hurt themselves. And so you're the, the most, you know, the, so someone else is best qualified, actually, but you've got to trust them. And they have to be somewhat trained to know what they're doing. But uh, if you can find someone like this, that's how you're gonna get that speck. It's really a speck to the other person, they'll see there's a speck in your eye, but to you it's a plank because it's it's right up in your face and it's so close you can't even see it. Well, maybe that's enough on the on the second verse. The there's so much in these uh, verses, and I, I recommend this psalm for meditation. So and now the what is Listed as a separate psalm really is the third verse of the song. And it's the entirety of the Psalm forty three is verse three of the song. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the mountain of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, I already mentioned about Jeroboam, And basically, you know, he lied, saying, well, it's just going to be too hard for you to go down to Jerusalem to worship. But in fact, the truth was, he was afraid of them going down to Jerusalem to worship. So he's deceitful, and then what he do, he made these golden calves, which is wickedness. And so it it would fit. this psalm if that was what happened, but the fact is, these psalms, you know, you can apply a psalm to your life, even if you're the the situations don't match you perfectly. The reason I can confidently say that, is that's exactly what Jonah does. His circumstances are not exactly those of the psalmist here, but he quotes it, and he applies it to his life, and so can we. So, we just have to understand, you know, not not to go beyond what is written. So, Here he can't go down to worship in Jerusalem like he really wants to, and it's painful, and he has to deal with people mocking him. But then he realizes, I can worship God wherever I am. This is even, you know, before what Jesus, as Jesus, you know, tells the woman at the the well there that the, uh, you know, God is desiring worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, and you can worship anywhere, not just here in Jerusalem or on any other mountain. But he's saying, send forth your light and your truth. Let them bring me. And uh, interpreters agree that what he's suggesting here is not just that somehow God, by his light and truth, would enable him to maybe secretly sneak down to Jerusalem and worship, as he always did, but that, in fact... The light and truth of God would enable him to enter the presence of God directly, and uh, and it's not without uh, precedent in the Old Testament. If you remember uh, the story of Samuel, the prophet, and uh, we're told in the text that you know God made him stronger and didn't let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground, but Samuel grew in his knowledge, and God revealed himself to Samuel through his word, all right? So Samuel enjoyed the presence and the instruction of God, the worship, all these things. So and ultimately, no one can stop you from coming into the presence of God. And so send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me. They will bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. I'll stand in your presence And there's the undeniable, uh, I would say even punchline or, or, or theme of this psalm is that it's a theme of defiant praise. The psalmist is saying, you know what, my situation is bad. I'm probably being disciplined and yet I'm going to worship God. I'm going to praise him, my savior and my God. And here, as he contemplates how God's light and truth in his word can bring him into God's presence, he's saying, I'm going to praise you with a harp. And I think in some ways, he, in the song, he's telling us how he wrote this song, <laughs> right? Uh, that it came together as he, as he defiantly decided, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to worship God, even though my situation worked, worked you know, against it. Now the it's good. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of spiritual practices, and um, and I hope that you can see. There's you know, there's just not time to go through every aspect of how we can learn how to draw strength from God from just that's just in this one text. But when you're depressed, or when you're in a, a trial, of course, is very tempting to say well I've already tried everything and I'm still depressed and so at that time I think there's, a, there's another level to this that we have to understand which um, in that is it's, in the end it's not our spiritual practices that'll save us it's God who saves us and this psalm, these two psalms together they're what's called a, a psalm of lament Okay, and so the responding to discipline is where Lent comes in, in terms of being penitent. But the, uh, the overall lament, uh, which is, of course, brought about by the effects of sin. There's another psalm of lament, which I think really helps us to understand. Because Jesus, I said, you know, you can pour your heart out. And not be afraid to say, God, I feel abandoned right now. I feel... Like I'm all alone, like you've rejected me. And you might say, boy, I don't know if I should say that as a Christian. Well, what if Jesus himself said it? Which he did. So uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he quoted a verse from a psalm. And that, in the, it, to him, when you, in, the, in the practice of the time, when you quoted a verse like that, people, they knew the whole psalm. And they're like, the whole thing should be now on your mind. So I'm, what I'm referring to, of course, is Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament. And just like the psalm we just went through, it's a psalm of lament which takes you from initially a place of despair, like I'm like a deer perishing for lack of water, to faith, right? I'm going to praise God. My, right. But here, this is now Jesus, the words of Jesus himself. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer at night, and I am not silent. Then he remembers, but you are the, you are the God of Israel. You are the, the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. Then he looks back at his own circumstances. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. Then he, th- then he remembers again. But you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even from my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of and encircled me. Roaring lions, tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and I, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. Incidentally, when this was written, it was hundreds of years before anybody used crucifixion as a punishment. But he's describing in detail. They divided up my garments among me and cast lots for my clothing, which of course did happen to Jesus. But you, Lord, be not far off. Oh, my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then the psalm pivots. I will declare your name to my brothers. Before those of fear, Lie. Declare my praise. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. And then, this is it. And this is the verse which I go to when I'm really depressed. Because, what does he say? For he has not, he has not, he's referring to God, he has not despised or disdained he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He not hidden his face from him, but has listened to, to his cry for help. And so then the psalm. And the psalm ends gloriously. In fact, here you have the Messiah himself He's telling you what's going to happen. All the earth is going to remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him because of dominions. And even 3,000 years later, he says to us through the psalm. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to people who are yet to be born. For he has done it. Let's pray. Lord, you have done it. Lord, it's your strength, not ours, that will carry us Lord, it's your grace that will lift us from the dust. And though we may pass through the valley of the shadow of death or be hurled into the deep, yet, Lord, you direct your love and your purposes for us. Our brings forth is gold. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.